this week's episode, Stephen and Rick explore why transparent supply chains are vital to business resilience, the importance of sustainable partnerships, and the reality of optimising investments in ESG platforms. They also discuss the role of compliance, and does this really uncover and address all issues in a supply chain, or is it just a tick box exercise? Without visibility in supply chains, is it possible to achieve accountability? Oh, you're not right. About, you're not wrong about this one being close to my heart. Um, it's it's been a bit of a bugbear of mine all, all my career, and I know it as yours. It, it, and we've kind of been at the forefront of trying to drive transparency into supply chains in our own industry. And, and my emphatic answer to your question is no. How can you? How can you possibly know? Um, the integrity, the quality, the attributes uh, of your supply chain and have comfort and be able to sleep at night uh, that things are just so if you don't know what's beneath the iceberg. Um, And I've been bemused for years at the real lack of effort and vigour that that companies apply to this this subject. Um, Everything seems to be centred around relationship with the immediate supplier, if there is one to be built. As we both know, a lot of that relationship sits with procurement in the main, which is very much transactional. And historically, things are changing, thankfully, but historically that's been around a, uh, a, a barter and a, a transactional relationship around what best price can be achieved. And obviously all the traditional techniques around that, if we're going to kindly call them techniques. And I've been there, I've done it, yeah. so uh, I've had the training. Um, so no, I, I, you know, I think the accountability side of this is all the more important right now, as you and I both know, with everything that's facing modern business. Um, and so I do think we're at a sort of crossroads really around uh, the need for more transparency, the need for more accountability, and I think probably the need for more long-term sustainable partnerships, not transactional suppliers. Um, do you agree? I do, but I'm not sure what's going to change because... I tend to be an optimist for most things, but on this subject, I tend to be quite a pessimist. Mm -hmm. Maybe I've been in the supply chain for too long, and maybe in recent years, because I've been involved in technology solutions in the supply chain, I know that the technology to provide transparency within supply chains Mm -hmm. is readily available from multiple suppliers. It's low cost, In fact, there are open source tools that people can use Mm -hmm. where if they have IT skills within their own business, they're not having to pay external vendors at all to achieve supply chain transparency. But how many supply chains are transparent today? Mm. I think as we go forward with the uncertainties we've had in the world recently around the pandemic, for example, and disruptions in supply chains. I think people are now very sensitive to supply chain disruptions and risks. But I fear we will have a collective amnesia Mm. once the pandemic has waned Mm. and we revert to time. Yeah, like you, I'm an optimist, as you know, um, but I can't help but share some of your pessimism around this topic. It's a difficult one. 
over the years, we've both been at the forefront of some of these initiatives to try and drive transparency, and they've come from multiple areas, haven't they? I mean, you've had the, the, the technical part of the industry saying, in our sector, post-Horsegate, we need to find more about, out about where stuff's coming from, which is great. And of course, you get that usual shot in the arm, like you do in any walk of life, where there's an inquiry and there's a paper and, and, there's, and there's some tale of action. And as you say, and then we get back to business as usual, and, and the complacency bubble builds up again. And then every now and then it gets a pop because something happens. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you that the com complacency is the biggest challenge here. The technology is, is readily available, you're right. And, and this may sound cheesy, but in my mind, I've always had this sort of, there's the three Ps. You've got platforms, people, and politics. And too many times when we've worked on these kind of deployments from a technology point of view, everyone just considers the P of the platform. Great, you've got the platform, fantastic, right. Let us know when we're four tiers deep mapping that, uh, those goods. Yeah. Right, okay, well, we're a technology company, so we can provide the tech that allows you to do this. However, what about the people in politics? And too many times, you and I have been at the forefront of trying to manage those two parts, the hearts and minds, the board-level objections, the counterintuitive nature of driving transparency through a supply chain. And, and I, you know, I'm going to be really critical. Big businesses that have deployed our services have stood back and allowed us to do the hard yards of being the battering ram or the Trojan horse, however you describe it, to try and drive that transparency through the chain. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I, I'm. I suppose the optimist in me says that the climate crisis and businesses' aim, aspiration, hopefully, to get to net zero, and particularly get to net zero within their scope three emissions, which will involve getting down into the supply chain, mm. could be the shot in the arm for supply chain transparency. But the pessimist in me. And whilst we work across multiple industries and multiple supply chains these days, mm. both of us grew up in the food yeah. supply chain. We're sitting here in January 22 having this conversation. And if I'm correct, and I could maybe incorrect, this year is the 10-year anniversary of Horsegate. Yeah. So for everyone who knows me in the food supply chain, this year... 10 years since the horsemeat scandal. Have we fundamentally learned from that? Have we fundamentally changed the way we manage our supply chains to ensure a horsemeat scandal or something similar in another commodity or ingredient within the food chain could cause a major incident? What do you think? Again, I... I you know, I'm going to say emphatically no. Um, you know, we know in our industry fraud is rife still. Uh, there's cases every week. Europol last year, I think, uncovered over 100 cases yet again of uh, systemized, industrialized food fraud going across Europe, including horse meat. There were horse meat cases only two weeks before Christmas over in South America. Um, so the answer is no, we, we haven't learned from it. And um, you know, until we build the castle walls high enough that there's enough of a deterrent, it will continue. Uh, and, and the backbone of this has to be around this question of, have we got transparent and visible supply chains? Is there accountability and visibility of what's really going on? And what are the deterrents to stop things like food fraud? 
and stop things like slavery? And is there really enough happening? I think part of the problem is, and from a technology point of view, people think technology, people who get behind technology believe technology is the solution. Mm. Technology on its own is not the solution. No. It comes back to a toolbox of tools. Technology gives you that visibility, can be used to give you that visibility to the supply chain. Yeah. But then you need to use that visibility to identify where the elevated risks are, mm -hmm. and then you, use, you, you, then you need to get involved in science and testing and analysis to verify. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's, you're right, it's that blended solution of all those techniques. I mean, we're so lucky. You know, you think about the age, the age we've lived through as middle-aged duffers. You know, the, the technology explosion in the last 10 years and what we have at our disposal for things like surveillance is incredible. And, you know, within our own businesses, say you've got supply chain mapping, you've got uh, laboratory techniques, you've, there's all these things we can apply um, to deliver this sort of surveillance and transparency, but it, it takes the will. Um, and I don't, I think where, what I think we're lacking is a joined up approach using mm -hmm. them together. Because mm -hmm. I know a lot of businesses spend a lot of money on testing products. Yeah. But actually, testing can be the same testing program year in, year out. Yeah. It's not based on robust risk assessments. It's not based on adopting the testing program mm. based on the evolving risk landscape. So potentially, in my experience, people who are spending a lot of money on testing may be spending too much or doing the testing in the wrong area yeah. or using the wrong methodology and therefore not optimizing the, the investment that they are making in testing. Well, if we're honest, um, the majority of testing, audit, surveillance, by my experience, has been around safety. It's not been about vulnerability, integrity, and all the more deeper, harder, challenging topics. It's been about safety. Mm. Is that lipstick safe to put on your good wife's lips? Is that food safe for us to eat? Is that DVD recorder going to explode? So these are the things. It's all about safety. The vulnerability and integrity of those supply chains is far more multidimensional and more challenging to tackle, in theory, and therefore has been in the too difficult box. I would challenge that. Is it actually about safety or is it about compliance? So is a lot of the testing being done to comply with some regulation that Yes, that's, that's a fair challenge. I guess the origin of that compliance tick box was some fear around safety or an issue, um, be that an allergic reaction or whatever, and therefore that's driven some form of compliance check. And as you say, over the years, that's become business as usual. It's become part of a code of practice. It's been a, oh, well, if you're going to supply X raw material, you'll need to do these several things, and evidence that that's been done. And obviously a big industry has grown up. Well, yeah. A global industry with yeah. a, a large number of global testing and certification companies mm -hmm. who have hundreds of laboratories all over the world testing the products comply. Mm. So there is a lot of vested interest in doing more and more and more yeah. testing. But a lot of these businesses don't actually use technology in my in my experience, mm. to get a better understanding of the supply chain behind the yep. DVD player or behind the suit of clothing or whatever it is, mm. and identify where the actual risks are yeah. and focus the testing on risk-based testing. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's <laughs> that that risk based approach. Um, I mean, it's becoming more part of the popular vernacular. Mm -hmm. It is. However, how many people are still to your point? And I guess what the argument you were provoking is in our sector. You know, the term has become an acronym: VASIC and TASIC, vulnerability assessment and threat assessment, threat analysis. Okay, so these are really sort of these have become documents. Stephen and Rick discuss the impact of zero-hour contracts on workers and the role that the Amazon Corporation plays in this. They also talk about the Uber business model and the competition this has introduced into the marketplace. They delve into how large corporations are abusing zero-hour contracts and Stephen's personal experience with this topic.